Let me read to you from chapter 12. The teacher says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Let's pray. Help us to understand your word, we pray, Lord. It is a living word. It is an active word. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, you can cut to the very uh, depths of our hearts and you can change us. So be working amongst us, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. The psychiatrist um, Carl Jung once delivered a lecture a long time ago called The Stages of Life. He said, life is like a day. First, there's our childhood, the dawn, when everything is new and uncharted. And then up to about the age of 35, he said, we have the morning. That's the, uh, um, the phase when we, we negotiate our position in society. The phase during which our whole personality crystallizes. Decisions about uh, marriage and career and children and our place in the world tend to get made in that period. At the other end of life, he said, after the age of about 50, that's like the sort of afternoon shading into the evening. That's a time when things are winding down, a time for, for contemplation and evaluation. It tends to be a more peaceful time. But he said the age between 35 and 50 is a key part of our life. He called that, uh, that time the noon of our life, the time when we actually uh, um, discover the consequences of the choices that we made in the morning, a time when uh, perhaps new directions can still be taken, but those new directions are harder to take now, more costly to implement. The choices during the moon, in reality, become fewer and fewer. Noon, he said is the moment of reckoning in the day. The moment when the sun no longer rises and actually starts to fall. The moment when we actually start to think hard about the direction that we set in the morning of our life. Jung's preoccupation, actually, was in that lecture was how foolishly and thoughtlessly we set our life's direction in the morning. 
and actually how that catches up with us at midday as we look towards the afternoon of our lives. He says, we cannot live the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning. For what was great in the morning will be little at evening. What in the morning was true at evening will have become a lie. I've given psychological treatment to too many people of advancing years and have looked too often into the secret chambers of their souls not to be moved by this fundamental truth. And the teacher who wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, would say a hearty amen to that. I think it's a fair bet, actually, to suggest that uh, this teacher, when he wrote this book, was living at the noon of his life. He's uh, got to the top of the hill, so to speak. And from that vantage point, he can look back over his young life. He did that in the first half. He can look at life now and the lessons he's learned now. And uh, perhaps even more significantly, he can look down the hill, the other side, towards his death. And from that point, from that vantage point, he uh, is determined to discover what life is really worth living for. Not what he thought it was worth living for when he was young, what life is really worth living for. As he says of himself when he was young, most of us as well think that pleasure and wisdom and social advancement and pay rises and promotions are the stuff of life. He explored all of those, didn't he? If you've been here, you'll know that. As we looked at the first half of Ecclesiastes, as, uh, as uh, Jung put it, those things are what are great and true when we are young. But he says he has discovered that actually they are little lies. The teacher isn't prepared, you see, to uh, go along misty-eyed, just accepting uh, those uh, paths that he explored when he is young. He is determined to be ruthlessly honest as he has got to the noon of his life. To look life straight in the face and say, and say honestly, I have discovered those things are not satisfying, they are meaningless life is meaningless he said because it's unpredictable and it's mysterious but we saw in this second half of the book that slowly as he explores the 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 dark crevices of the real world that he lives in as this unfolds he realizes again and again that he cannot stop himself believing in a good sovereign god who has his good and perfect justice in mind life is still confusing at the end of the book it's still meaningless even, he says, as uh, uh, says it twice in, in chapter 11, verses uh, 8 and uh, 10, for instance, right at the end of the book. But underneath it all, he says, I have discovered some real wisdom about this world and a real confidence in God. But it has been a long and painful road. 
And if he possibly can, the teacher wants to spare us some of the pain that he has felt. So in the last chapter or so of his book, he speaks specifically, actually, to young people, to people who've not walked that road yet, to people who are in the morning of their lives. You uh, older people amongst us, you'll probably have to sit here most of the morning just nodding sagely and saying, I've already discovered that. Most of the message this morning is for those of us who are younger. Chapter 11, uh, verses 7 to 10. His advice is, enjoy life wisely. You'll remember if you've uh, been with us that again and again he has said that uh, the only thing to do is to enjoy life in this meaningless world. But he has come to a, a more mature view of how we should enjoy it at the end of the book. First of all, he says in verses uh, 7 and 8, enjoy the moment, but without forgetting the reality of evil in this world. Verse 7, light is sweet. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Life is not a veil of tears, he says. It's not entirely so anyway. So he says, enjoy life. Enjoy the good things that come. Enjoy the spring at the moment. The fact that the weather's getting warmer. The fact that, the, the, uh, the, that flowers are, are, are coming up at the moment. Enjoy your relationships. Suck the good things out of life and savor them, he says. But don't do it with such a degree of abandon, with such a degree of naivety, that somehow you are hurled into the, the abyss of despair when bad things come. Because bad things, he says, will come. Let him remember the days of darkness. They will be many. That's how to live wisely. Enjoy the moment. But don't develop a, a pattern of life that is completely unprepared for when things go wrong. Then he says, uh, enjoy your youth. But without forgetting the reality of judgment. Verse 9, be happy young man while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So a lot of people think, about, think the Bible is, uh, um, the Bible's message is all about suppressing our desires. Especially young people are, are, are warned, aren't they? to uh, control their desires. And uh, uh, doesn't the Apostle Paul say, flee the evil desires of youth? Well, that advice is important. But the, but the teacher says, remember, your desires are good too. 
Remember that um, uh, your heart won't always be wrong. Sometimes it's appropriate to follow your heart. God delights in romantic love. He's as interested in uh, as you are in you falling in love with someone. God delights in good food. Aren't we lucky to live near the Cowley Road? God delights in beauty. Go for it, says the teacher. Follow the ways of your heart. Whatever your eyes, eyes see, he says. But again, he says, don't be a fool in that. Don't forget that our actions do have consequences. In fact, he says, every single action will be weighed and judged by God. Know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. God won't judge us for delighting in the world. He will judge us, though, for hurting other people while we delight in this world, for ignoring their needs. God's rules for living, the rules set down in the Bible, are set down to guide and channel our desires so that they don't damage us or other people. We ignore them at our peril because we're ignoring the way the world works. We are ignoring the, the, the God who will judge us according to his perfect rules. Actually, we'll be more miserable. There's a very strange paradox in our society. It's popularly believed if you ask people on the, on the street, they will say, especially young people, they would say, Christians need to get a life. They will say, Christians don't know how to enjoy each other. Christians, for some masochistic reason, choose misery. Non-Christians, on the other hand, are having a good time. And then, you look at survey after survey, done by uh, respectable organizations like uh, Mori, and you find again and again and again the Christians are happier than the non-Christians. Newspapers run surprised articles. Why are they happier? They've learned to enjoy life wisely. But perhaps the burden of what the teacher wants to say to us is even more important. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, that we uh, read at the beginning. He wants to say, choose life early. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. This is really what he wants to leave us with at the end of his book. Perhaps he looks back over his own life, over his years of searching for meaning and purpose in life. And he said he doesn't want us to go down those blind alleys. Very easy to waste the best years of your life. Peter Vickers was, uh, was praying about that in his prayer, wasn't he? Many, many people live with that as a burden for them. 
It's easy to pour all our our youthful energy and vitality into the sand. Perhaps we'll come to our senses uh, one day. Perhaps we think we will be saved at the last and taken to heaven. But actually we will have wasted the life that God has given us on this earth. What a waste. If we actually only remember God when we have very little energy left to give to the life that he offers us. I've seen people come to faith late. And they don't say, I had it all, I enjoyed life without God, and then I, then I um, have been wise enough to catch the train at the last minute to heaven. They don't say that. They say, if only I had come to my senses earlier. What a life I could have had. What a, what a thrilling adventure I could have had in my life. How I mourn those wasted years. Of course, people are happy to have found God whenever they find him. But it is rather like finding the great love of your life in retirement. There's great joy, but there's also a sense that if only we'd met 40 years ago. Teacher actually uses a very powerful set of images, vivid images, to get his point across in these these verses. He describes old age as being like an impending storm in which, as he puts it in verse 2, the the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. In spring, um, uh, he says the... uh, The storms that we have are actually little April showers. They soon pass and reveal the sun. But the the storms of winter not only have the rain, but then cloud comes after them, not sunshine. It's a great storm of this sort that he sees uh, impending for us all as we approach old age. He says, actually, our aging bodies are like a household waiting in terror for this storm to hit. Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, those looking through the windows grow dim. He describes four types of people in this household. It's a big house. First of all, there are the, the keepers of the house, the male servants. Those are the parts of our body that, that, that serve us, perhaps. He says they tremble, don't they, with age. And he says there are strong men, or, uh, or, or perhaps rulers, in this household. They stoop and buckle with old age. And there are uh, women in the kitchen who grind the corn. But one by one, they fall out of your head and stop. And then he says there are uh, the imperious women in their drawing rooms upstairs, looking out of the windows. 
but actually those windows slowly glaze over. No one can see out. That's what happens. And as that storm gets closer and closer, he says, of course, everyone bolts their doors. Verse 4, the doors to the street are closed. It's interesting, uh, he uses um, uh, a turn of phrase which implies that there are two doors that he's talking about to the, to the street. I think the most likely thing he's talking about is our ears. Our hearing fades, he says. And they are such vital doors to the street. Actually, if our, as our hearing fades, we can so easily become cut off from the world around. We withdraw into our own little world. Sounds become muffled. As he puts it, the sound of grinding fades. As we get older, paradoxically, men, he says, because of... Um, particular problems that men have, tend to get woken by the slightest sound in the middle of the night and uh, have to tramp at least once to the bathroom. Men rise up at the sound of birds, he says. But, the, but paradoxically, when the dawn chorus comes and all the birds are singing outside, his hearing's so bad they can't hear them. Their songs grow faint. And the fears of old age can be so debilitating. Verse 5, men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. And our looks change, don't they? Mention of the almond tree blossoming in uh, uh, the second bit of, uh, of verse, uh, verse 5 is because almond trees, you may have seen them, um, have a glorious halo of white blossom before the leaves come out. I have to say, I'll be rejoicing if I have a mop of white hair. I think the metaphor he might have used for me is before the Christmas tree needles drop or something. But uh, the meaning's clear, isn't it? We're no longer mobile either. As uh, he puts it, the grasshopper drags himself along. Or perhaps better, actually, you could translate it, the grasshopper loses his bounce. Grasshopper can't hop. What use is he then? And, of course, that most precious of drives, at least to young people, also fades away, our libido. Desire is no longer stirred, he says. Actually, lit literally, the line says, uh, there at the end of verse 5, the caper berry is thrown away. Caper berries were thought to be aphrodisiacs in the ancient world. But he says, you get to an age where it's no longer worth even bothering to keep any caper berries. You might as well not bother with the Viagra in the, uh, the, the kitchen uh, uh, the bathroom cabinet. And then he says, you die. And man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. That's life. That's what happens. 
That's the storm that hits every single one of us. Remember him while you're young, he says. While you've got a spring in your step, while the world is your oyster, before you have to shut up shop. I wouldn't be at all surprised if there aren't uh, young people here this morning, perhaps who, who in 20, 30, perhaps even 40 years' time, will read this passage and only then will the penny drop. when it's too late to heed his advice. I mean, perhaps you personally are a Christian, but you've never really considered what sort of life will stand up to examination at noon, let alone to the mature reflection of the evening. Perhaps you never have really asked yourself the question, what am I doing with my life that is really worth doing? Perhaps you're not yet a Christian and uh, you're putting it off because you want to live a little first. See, it is no life if one day we will re-examine it and say, what a waste. Consider now what is really worth doing with your life. Because actually our precious life slips away like sand running through our fingers. Verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. Four pictures of death here. He says life is like a beautiful, precious silver cord which snaps. He says life is like the most beautiful golden bowl which is smashed. He says life is like going every morning to a beautiful, cool mountain spring and taking your jug and dipping it into the spring and drinking to your heart's content from that jug until one day the jug is shattered. He says, life is like lowering a bucket down into the depths of the earth, down a well, and drawing up from the bottom of that well the most beautiful, cold, fresh, sweet water. Until one day the winding wheel's broken. And then it's too late. As Ben Hollyoaks so tragically discovered this week, that can happen at any time. And then he says, we meet our maker. Whether we remembered him or not. Verse 7, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who gave it. 
Shouldn't we then use this this precious life while we have it for something that really satisfies? That's, That's what the teacher is drawing us to as best he can. He can't see eternity, actually. He didn't know that Jesus would rise from the dead and, uh, and judge every person for everything that they've done. He didn't know that there was an eternal uh, reward waiting for everyone who follows Jesus Christ. He could only see very little, but even from that poor vantage point, he says, in the end, it's better at the earliest possible stage to remember your Creator. Malcolm Mugridge was a famous uh, journalist of the uh, 20th century. He had a a life which mirrors the life of the teacher, I think, perhaps more than anyone else in 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 the 20th century. As a young man, um, Mugridge was a very earnest atheist, rather like the teacher seems to be at the beginning as he describes everything under the sun. And uh, in common with a large proportion of thinkers of uh, his time in the 20s and uh, early 30s, he was also a Marxist, a communist. But in 1930. Malcolm Muggeridge went to live in Russia. And what he saw there left him completely disillusioned. Slowly and painfully, over many, many years, Muggeridge discovered Christian faith. In 1982, he wrote a book partly at least rude, the length of time that it had taken him to come to faith. He called it Chronicle of Wasted Time. About that time he was uh, interviewed. And the words that uh, he said in that interview, I think, sum up what the teacher would love us to learn from this book, Ecclesiastes. So I want to leave you with his words. I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets, that's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for the higher slopes of the inland revenue, that's success. Furnished with fame and a little money, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions, that's pleasure. Might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time, that's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, I beg you to believe me. Multiply those tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together. And they are nothing. Less than nothing. A positive impediment 
measured against one draught of that living water Jesus Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. We must pray. Perhaps God is prompting you to ask serious, hard questions about what you're doing with your life. Perhaps now's the time to resolve before him, but you won't avoid those questions. Perhaps for you, the step that you need to make, you know, is the step to faith. Step to turning round and following Jesus Christ. Now's the time to talk to God about that. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, there are some of us here who have real regrets about wasted time. We pray that somehow you would make it up to us, that you would restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And you would give us joy and satisfaction. But Lord, there are many, many of us here who have the bulk of our life ahead of us. Please, Lord, preserve us. Direction. More than anything, Lord, give us courage to follow you. We ask it in Jesus' name.